Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 20th of May 2020 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. It's been warm and wet here in Hong Kong this week. Summer is always an adjustment for us, and as the days get stickier and the nights steamier, how much aircon do you need, and how many showers are too many? Finding the balance takes a bit of time. And now, as we slowly get used to life in public with our masks on, of course, we'll be listening to two stories about times when our storytellers felt a bit off balance. Our first story is from Wally, who got up on our stage to tell us about how he found his balance. And the second story is from Jen, about her search for some equilibrium. Before we get to today's story, though, a huge hug goes out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. We miss you at our live shows and hope that all this care we're taking is keeping all of us safe from illness. Thanks go out to our overseas listeners as well. This week, a special hello goes out to listeners in Portland and Oregon in the USA, Chelsea in the UK, and Paris in France. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. We're feeling cautiously optimistic that our next show will be able to go forward, with suitable precautions, of course. On June 24th, at the Fringe Club, we'll be announcing when tickets go on sale and when our regular storytelling workshops are on again, too. Find all the information you need at hongkongstories.com. I have to tell you as well that I'm recording this podcast extremely late on Wednesday and in the middle of a rainstorm. So if you hear thunder and lightning in the background, do not be alarmed. Now with a story from the December 2019 show, which had the theme of meeting you, here is Wally. It's 2002. I'm a second year law student in New York City, and I get a phone call. It's from the hiring partner of a Wall Street law firm, and he's calling to congratulate me and give me a summer internship position. Growing up, whenever somebody asked me what I wanted to be when I grow up, I would say rather confidently, I want to be a hot shot corporate lawyer. <laughs> and here I was, finally on my way to achieving my dream. And this dream hasn't just been a dream for me. It's actually been a dream for my mom as well. And I've done it for her and all the sacrifices that she's made to enable me to reach this position in my life. You see, when I was a baby, my mom left my father, who was an alcoholic. She packed up her bags and emigrated from Thailand to Los Angeles to start a whole new life on her own. She left me in the care of my grandparents in Bangkok until she was able to save up enough money to send for me. When she first arrived in L.A., she only had $100 in her pockets. And barely speaking any English, she managed to get a series of minimum wage-paying jobs, first as a cashier at a gas station, then as a janitor and dishwasher at a Thai restaurant, all the while taking English lessons on the side. And five years later, she's able to save up enough money to send for me and also open up her very own Thai restaurant. And it's that same Thai restaurant that's put me all the way through school up to law school, which leads me to this phone call I'm having with the hiring partner. 
And I say, of course I accept the offer. Thank you very much. And he says, great. I'm going to schedule some coffee meetups for you to meet with other corporate lawyers at the firm before the start of the summer to get a feel for the people there. Now, one of the coffee meetings that I have is with this junior corporate lawyer named Jay. Over the course of 30 minutes, I come to learn that Jay is well-read, well-educated, well-traveled, that he grew up in three different continents, speaks five different languages fluently, and is a classically trained opera singer. I'm completely, completely smitten with him. And afterwards, I get an email from Jay saying he really enjoyed meeting me and asked if I wanted to see him again, this time over dinner. I get butterflies in my stomach, and I have to pinch myself. Am I really being asked out by a guy? By a hotshot corporate lawyer? (laughs) An extremely hot, hot hotshot corporate lawyer. Despite my initial fears, I think, what's the harm in dinner? So I say yes. That first dinner date leads to a second then a third. And over the course of the next few weeks, we are inseparable. Then on the one-month anniversary of our meeting, Jay takes me back to that same restaurant where we had our first dinner date. And he pulls out a small blue Tiffany box. Inside was not an engagement ring, <laughs> but, but something even better It was the keys to his apartment, and he asked me to move in with him. Fast forward six months later, I'm now living with Jay, and I'm about to start my summer internship. Fear starts to creep in. I'm thinking if word gets out that there's a summer office romance between an intern and an associate, and they're both male— that that would be a scandal. So Jay and I discuss what we're going to do, and we come up with a plan. I would try to get a position at another office for part of the summer so that we didn't have to spend the whole summer together. And the plan works. I end up getting a four-week stint in the Tokyo office at the end of the summer. Now, as I'm about to fly to, to Tokyo... I think, you know what, I should invite my mom there. This would be the great opportunity for me to actually thank her for all she's done for me and to show her that her son has finally made it, that he's becoming this hotshot corporate lawyer. So I call my mom and ask her, and she agrees, and we make plans to separately meet up at Narita Airport. Now, midway... During my flight from JFK to Narita, I start to shake uncontrollably. And I hear a voice in my head saying, Wally, this is the time. You have to come out to your mom. How can you possibly spend a whole month with her in Tokyo and not share with her this incredible love you're feeling for Jay? At the same time, I'm hearing another voice, equally powerful, saying, no, 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 you can't tell her. She's going to be disappointed. 
Think of all the sacrifices that she's made for you. Don't let her down. I'm grappling with these competing voices in my head as I meet my mom at Narita Airport. And we take a taxi over together to the service apartment. We check in, we unpack, shower change, and then we sit down. And I open up the bottle of wine from the mini bar and pour us each a glass because what I've come to learn is wine always helps in these situations. <laughs> and I look at her, and the love and pride I feel for her at this moment are as strong as ever. And at the same time, I'm thinking about Jay. And thinking about the incredible love I have for him and the pride I have for him and our relationship. And I so want to honor that too. And so I say to my mom, Mom, I have something to tell you. I've fallen in love with someone. Now, I should say that I speak to my mom in Thai, and in the Thai language, like Chinese and some other languages, we have gender-neutral pronouns. And so the pronoun kao means both he and she. So I'm starting to tell my mom about Jay using the gender-neutral pronoun. I'm telling her how Kao and I first met, how Kao grew up in three different continents, speaks five different languages, and yes, is a classically trained opera singer, and how much I am in love with Kao, truly, madly, deeply in love. And I see her, and she's following my every word, nodding, smiling. I can see that she's visibly happy for me. And then I take the deepest breath I feel I've ever taken up to that point in my life. And my voice is shaking right now as I tell her. And Kao's name is Jay, and Jay happens to be a man. There's dead silence for what feels like an eternity. Say something, I want to tell her, anything. And finally she says, well, t to be honest, I'm completely shocked and confused. But if you're happy, then I'm happy for you. And hearing those words, I sigh a huge sigh of relief. Jay and I ended up being together for five years. The last was in Hong Kong, where we moved here together. Though he ultimately wasn't my Mr. Right, I've come to learn since that for all the love and pride that he opened my world up to, he was exactly the right man for me at that time in my life. Thank you. If you're happy, I'm happy for you. Wally's mom sounds like a wise and lovely woman. Thanks to Wally for sharing that story. We will honestly let you know when workshops open up for us and you can share your stories again. Thanks to those of you who reached out to us on email and Facebook to tell us your stories as well. 
We love hearing them, and we promise we read everything that you send us. Now, here's a story from 2018. It was told at a show titled Face the Music. Here is Jen. I leaned forward with my elbows on my desk and my head in my hands, praying that nothing else would come up. As a youth worker, I didn't really have regular set working hours. It was early evening, and I should have been able to leave in about an hour. But my ability to go home was entirely dependent on whether or not anybody was in crisis. Otherwise, it was a great job. It was the late 1990s, and I was Vancouver's first youth worker designated for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgendered youth. I'd grown up closeted in a really small town. So I was constantly amazed that I was now able to get paid to organize drop-ins and social events for anybody queer or questioning under the age of 25. My caseload ranged from kids who were relatively stable and just needed a safe place to be themselves for a few hours a week to kids who were very unstable, uh, living on the streets and needing heavy intervention. In addition to our youth group, uh, the center had a clinic, a nurse's clinic that ran a needle exchange, a library, and a bunch of different meeting rooms that the community groups could use. Something hectic could break out at any moment in any of those places. Earlier that day, a couple of guys had started a fight in the waiting room waiting for the clinic. A few days ago, some guy had come in and smashed up our photocopier. It was chaotic, but it was a great job. That day, I was just tired. I needed dinner with my roommates and an early night, and everything would be fine. And that was all going to happen as long as nothing came up. And then I heard the sound of a young woman's voice. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm so fucked! And she ran straight down the corridor and into the closed door of the street nurse's clinic, which was right next to my office. She was pounding on the door and yelling when I stepped out into the corridor and saw that it was Tasha. Now, Tasha was within the age range of my youth group, but she usually came in to see the nurses and use the needle exchange. Sometimes she'd stop by and chat with me, but I realized it had been a few weeks since the last time I'd seen her. Tasha, calm down. The nurses are just out doing their rounds. Come and wait in here with me, and I'll give them a call for you. She looked at me and then rushed past me into my office, dropped to her knees in front of my garbage can, and started puking. In between heaves, she kept on yelling. Oh, God, what am I going to do? I had a place and I fucked it up. I fucked it up. She turns out that she'd been in a residential rehab program for the previous few weeks. And that day, she'd been out on her first day pass. She'd run into a few friends and she'd gotten high with them. Now she was feeling sick but she was mostly panicked because she knew she couldn't go back to the rehab because she'd been using. She told me she didn't have any other place to go. And then she carried on retching and ranting and demanding ginger ale, which I didn't have on hand. My hope of leaving at a reasonable time evaporated. But there was a bright side. When folks like Tasha disappeared for a few weeks, often the next thing you'd hear about them would not be good news. In the four years that I had worked at the center, we'd already lost four young people to suicide or overdose, three in the past year. She may have been a mess, but at least she was there. To deal with her most immediate crisis, I called the street nurses on their cell phone and left a message. Then I reassured her that she probably wasn't the first person to use on a day pass. 
I told her I'd call the rehab and see if they could work something out. And, of course, they could, but not in the state she was in. That meant finding her a shelter bed for the night, which was not going to be easy that late in the day. I started making calls. Tasha was still on the floor howling and occasionally dry heaving. Oh, God, what am I going to do? I feel like shit. Are you sure you don't have any ginger ale? I put my hand over the phone. Tasha, I'm trying to convince people that you are calm enough to take a bed in their shelter without freaking out everybody else that's there. It's a little hard to do that when they can hear you screaming in the background. That quieted her down a little bit, and about four calls later, I got a social worker who thought he had a place. I was on hold waiting for him to confirm when I heard a noise at the door. I looked up, expecting the nurses, but I saw Danny. Danny was a 15-year-old kid who came to the center all the time, whether we had a drop-in going or not. He was not out to anybody in his life, and we were his gay oasis. He looked from Tasha on all fours with her head in the bin to me with my phone stuck to my ear and said, are you busy? (laughs) Fuck yes, I'm busy. Do you think you could? And I tried to wave him away. Instead, he steps forward into the room, settles into a chair and says, that's okay, I can wait till you're done. (laughs) Done? What is wrong with this kid? Then I had an idea. If you're going to be here, I said, you're going to be useful. And I reached into my desk, grabbed 10 bucks, and said, here, go to the 7-Eleven across the street and get this girl some ginger ale. (laughs) Danny took the money and then paused. Can I get a chocolate bar? (sighs) Yes, fine, just don't take all day. And then the social worker was back on the line, so I waved him away. Success. The shelter would take Tasha, but they needed her to be calm. I swore that she would be and said that we'd be there soon. And Danny came back in, and I told Tasha that we'd leave as soon as she was done her ginger ale. Danny sat back in his chair, munching on his chocolate bar, and stared at her wide-eyed. What's wrong with you? And Tasha told him, not just the recent events, but her whole life story. Very much in the preachy style of a guest speaker recovered addict at a high school. I was relieved to see that she was feeling calm, but I had the nagging feeling that I'd just been suckered into crisis mode. As her tail and her ginger ale started to come to an end, the street nurses showed up, and they confirmed that she was fine, and then thankfully offered to take her to the shelter for me. I could have hugged them. By the time they were ready to go, I had my bag slung over my shoulder and my keys out to lock up. And then Danny piped up. So, you want to hang out here or maybe go for a snack? (sighs) Danny, honey, I think I'm done for the day. If he had started talking, I would have been there for hours. And I was so close to getting home. Oh, come on. I mean, it's still early. We could, like, go and... Danny, I said I'm done. I've been here all day. Danny looked crushed. One of the nurses waved him out of the office and said, Jen's shift is done. Why don't you go and see if the volunteer in reception needs some help? I turned away and just focused on my keys as I locked up. I couldn't turn around until I heard them leaving down the corridor. And I also couldn't stop seeing the hurt expression on Danny's face. And I was horrified that I had lost it like that in front of the nurses. I snuck out past reception without saying goodnight to anybody. All the way home, I kept thinking, really, what had he wanted? Just someone to be himself with for a few hours, somebody to listen. If I couldn't do that, then maybe it was time to face the fact 
that I wasn't just tired. Maybe I didn't have any more what it took to do this job. Snapping at Danny had been awful, but he'd recover. What really worried me was what other mistakes I might make. As tired as I had been, I couldn't sleep when I got home. I was awake all night, wondering how I was going to admit to my boss that I just couldn't do it anymore. Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.